My name is Jerry, one of the teaching pastors here, and excited to be here with you and open up God's Word again to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 27 through 30 is where we're going to be here this morning, so I invite you to turn there. Uh, real quick, we're doing verses 27 through 30. How many verses is that? Real quick. I heard a couple threes, mostly four. Some of you are smarter than me uh, because all this week I was like, yeah, I'm preaching on three verses uh, this week because that's what math would tell you, right? But then I was wait a minute, actually four verses. So we got just a small chunk of scripture, but is so incredibly packed full of powerful um, directives for us. And I hope that you're wide awake this morning, 9 a.m. service. Hope you're wide awake. I hope your heart is ready. And I hope that you've uh, followed along with our be prepared questions that come out every week going over the passage uh, in the e-news, the email that goes out, uh, going over the passage and a few questions to help you um, just kind of prepare your heart and mind, make the most of these Sunday mornings. But... Um, but I wanted to ask you a question. When is the last time you've had one of those whatever happens moments? And what I mean by that is this. I remember shortly after uh, high school, I went down to West Virginia um, to an adventure camp. And since then, I've been to the same camp four or five times. And I've been rappelling off a giant cliff into the New River Gorge some of our men here were a part of a father-son trip that we did last summer, went to the very same spot, and you're up there, and you're getting all strapped in and hooked in, and there's that long, you know, rope that supposedly can hold, you know, a thousand pounds or whatever, and you're standing there on the cliff, and you're looking down at the whitewater rafting people who look like little tiny ants, and like, okay, whenever you're ready, just go ahead and step back. And it's like one of those moments where, where you're just like, okay, well, whatever happens, God, I am in your hands. Whatever happens, because all my faith and trust right now is in this guy that I don't even know who strapped me up and in this thing. And well, here we go. And you just kind of lean back. You ever have one of those? There's a lot of those in life, right? Many of us who are here who are married, you've had a whatever happens moment. That day when uh, you stood in front of a bunch of people and said your vows. Maybe you said traditional vows. Um, maybe you made up your own vows. But either way, it's one of those whatever happens types of moments, right? In sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer. I'm not even sure that's proper English, but... You know, it's like, ah, uh, gray hair or no hair, you know, weight gained or muscle tone lost, you know, vacations to Hawaii or Cleveland, you know, like, whatever happens, we're in this together, right? That's the heartbeat of the vows. Whatever happens, my trust is in you, my faith is in you, my commitment is in you. And you remember those early days moving forward. Maybe it was taking a new job. Maybe it was moving to a new city. And there's so much uncertainty and so much anxiety. You're like, all right, well, you know, you and me, whatever happens, God lead us. But we are diving in and we're going into this together. And then there's maybe some more difficult whatever happens moments. Maybe there's those moments where you're in the waiting room at the doctor's. Or they take the tests and you're waiting weeks and weeks to get the information about what they saw that was so concerning. And maybe, maybe you've entered into that chasm 
that says, okay, God, I don't know what the future holds, but whatever happens, you know I don't, but I'm trusting in you. And what we see right here, right out of the gate in verse 27, is an incredible whatever happens moment. Paul has just got done challenging uh, these people that he loves and sharing with them, hey, you know what, if I'm here in the body, uh, if I die and go be with Jesus, that'll be great too. But no matter what, whatever happens, listen to this. And there in verse 27, there's a lot of translations that say, whatever happens. Another translation, the true rendering of the Greek, has something to do with uh, remember this one thing, no matter what. And here in the ESV, which we have instructed you or encouraged you to buy and follow along with us, this particular translation is a little weak in my mind. Verse 27, it says, only, that's it. But in the Greek, it's emphatic, it's powerful. It's, hey, whatever happens, remember this one thing. And here it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So we're just going to go ahead and dive into this. And this is one of those passages where there's several key, colorful, amazing, powerful words. So I hope that you've got your pen and paper out. Or I hope you've got your highlighter uh, electronically handy if you're following along on an iPad or something else. But man, this is so full of goodness. And that first one is that word only or that whatever happens. And he follows it up closely with saying, let your manner of life. Now, in most translations, including mine, there's a little footnote um, that says there at the end of verse 8, there's a little footnote that'll carry you down to the bottom that gives you the idea that this true rendering has to do with the idea of citizenship. Let your manner of life, let your behavior be as a citizen of heaven. Now, this is really important for us because it was really important to Paul. And when you think about citizenship and where you belong, I just want to remind you uh, of the situation that Paul was in. And we hear a lot about this today, right? This whole idea about immigration and illegal immigration and people doing everything they can to climb over walls and sneak in and forge paperwork and whatever else they can do to get into the United States of America. Why? Because they want the rights and the privileges of being in one of the most uh, wealthy and powerful countries in the entire world. And they will do whatever it takes to get in there. Citizenship, rights, privileges. Okay? I have been uh, proposed to several times, I will have you know, uh, in Haiti, in Jamaica, when I was in India. Okay? Women would come up to me. And say, hi, you look so nice. Can I marry you? I'm not even kidding. Why? Because I'm sensitive, warm, caring, a good leader. No, none of the above. It's because I'm a U.S. citizen, right? And they will do anything they, they can to get out of their situation, to come to America, to have that sort of uh, bond, that legally binding situation because they want a better life to be a citizen of the U.S. Now, just as a reminder, 
Paul is writing this to the Philippians. The city of Philippi was about 800 miles away from Rome, where Paul was most likely writing this from. That is a really big distance, 800 miles away. And yet, you'll remember if you've been here for a few weeks, that Philippi was actually a province of Rome, a city that enjoyed citizenship, Roman citizenship, even though it was so far away. Okay, the equivalent for us would be somebody who was born in uh, maybe Puerto Rico or even better, somebody born in Guam. All right, you've heard of Guam. We always talk about, oh, yeah, it's way out in Guam. Well, Guam's a real place, right? It's all the way out there by Japan and kind of north of Australia. It's kind of all the way out there in the middle of nowhere. But if you're born in Guam, guess what? You're a U.S. citizen enjoying all the privileges and rights of that. The same thing is true in Philippi, and that's why this was so important, this idea of citizenship to Paul, and that's why it comes up over and over and over again in his writings, especially the ones he wrote while he was in prison. He wanted to remind them that our citizenship is in heaven, not here on this earth. A couple of insights to remind us where these people were living on a day-by-day basis. Caesar would provide grain for the poorest of poor people. The Roman government would provide grain for them uh, as a way to keep them dedicated and reliant on the government. And because of that, um, Caesar was quoted as saying, I am the bread of life. Does that sound familiar at all? Jesus said the same thing. In the marketplace, they would have people pay homage to Caesar and worship Caesar before they could get water from the public fountains. And because of that, the Roman government was seen as a place where there was everlasting water source for life and vitality. Does that sound familiar? The announcements that the Romans would make in all the provinces that belonged to them is going up and down the streets and the villages and calling out for an assembly to get together so that they could give gospel or good news about the government and what it was going to do. A common greeting in the marketplace was, Caesar is Lord. And they had no problem, you know, with Jesus being a god. That wasn't necessarily the most offensive thing to them because in that culture they had many, many gods. But you must also worship Caesar. And as a matter of fact, the term king of kings and lord of lords was used for Caesar. So you can see in in painting that sort of picture as a kind of place that they live filled with privilege. The Roman government was the uh, most wealthy, vast, powerful uh, entity and force at that time. And yet, Paul is saying, hey, whatever happens, conduct yourself as a citizen of heaven. And finally, you get this aspect, underline it in your, in your Bibles, this idea where he says, conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel, worthy 
of the gospel. Now, I want us to think about this for a second, man. For, for some of us, if you're anything like me, when you think about uh, living a life that's somehow worthy of the gospel, um, you know, you, you kind of get the idea of uh, weights and measures, right? To see if something's even. I've got a picture of it up here for you, kind of like the judicial system, like weighing everything to see where things stand. And you think about things in this aspect, and it's like, well, what do you mean you want me to live a life worthy of the gospel? How can that possibly be? When I think about Jesus and what he did for me, because scripture tells me in Isaiah that all of my righteousness is the equivalent of filthy rags. And even later on in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, it talks about you know all of my righteousness, all of my accolades, all of my goodness in myself and just this humanity. If I were to offer this up to God, it would be the equivalent of a giant steaming pile of garbage. So how, if I piled all that stuff together, man, how could I possibly in a million years live a life worthy of what Jesus did for me? Well, I want you to picture something a little bit differently as we talk about this idea of worth. I don't want you to think about it in the, in the realm of equality. I want you to think of it in the realm of weight or value? How much weight has the gospel been on your heart and transformed you and propelled you into something bigger and greater and more incredible? So a better illustration of that value and that weight is something more like this. You ever been on one of these? Yeah, that is a person way up there. That's me actually. Um, I've had some back problems since then. No, I'm just kidding. That's not me, but there is a person all the way up there at the top. That's a blob. We've seen that before. We know what that is. Lake Ann Camp this summer. Uh, lots of summer camps. Lots of places have them. This giant, big, inflatable thing. And, and whenever I go up to Lake Ann and I'm swimming around there with all these middle schoolers, undoubtedly they come swarming at me like a bunch of chihuahuas in the water and they ask me one question. You know what it is? Can you blob me? Well, why is that? Well, why is it? <laughs> My wife was laughing especially hard. I've got 235 reasons. I'm working on that. As to why they want me to blob them, right? Because we know how this works. Somebody small gets up there. They crawl all the way out and they do the little thing so they don't knock themselves in the head or something. And then I'm up here on the platform or whoever it is, you jump off. And when you land, the force of that landing propels you. The weight of whatever's coming down here absolutely uh, catapults you up into the air, displaces you. And when we talk about a life worthy of the gospel, that's more of what this phrase really means. And I want to throw out to you here this morning, have you been displaced by the weight of the gospel? Because over and over in scripture, that's what you see what happened. When people interacted with Jesus, their life was completely turned upside down. They were propelled into a brand new way of living with, by the way, brand new innovative ways of sharing the gospel with other people. 
You think about Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, and he was stealing from everybody, and Jesus went to his house, and he said, hey, I'm coming over, and hey, I want to transform your life, and the weight of the gospel and the weight of the Savior propelled him into such a life of generosity that he gave back four times what he had stolen from other people. Transformation. You think about the people that Jesus healed, the, the cripple that he healed, and immediately he jumped up and took his mat and started leaping and dancing and jumping and telling everybody that he met about this great Savior that had healed him. You even think about uh, Mary there in Bethany when she broke this expensive container of perfume and poured it out all over Jesus' feet. And Jesus said to her, anywhere the gospel is shared... This story of sacrifice will be heard. You're going to be a history maker because of your demonstration of the gospel. Because that's what it is. Something that was broken, something that was spilled out, something that was poured out, incredible, incredibly valuable, sacrificed. That's a demonstration of what I did for you. Giving back over and over four times way more than I had to. That's what God did for us. And so what I'm telling you here this morning is when we talk about living a life worthy of the gospel for you guys this morning and for me, it means how much weight am I going to allow this to affect me and come down so that I'm propelled into brand new, innovative, creative ways of sharing the gospel with other people. And you know what's the thing that is really kind of a bummer about a blob, especially in that context with middle school kids? Yeah, because after I, boom, they go flying, I crawl out there. Why is it even worth it? I don't know. I should just slide off, but, you know, oh, let me blob you. It doesn't matter if two or three of those kids all get together and jump off. You know what's going to happen? Okay, thank you. Nothing. Man, sometimes I think when we talk about the weight of the gospel, especially in our culture, when you think about how much has this really propelled you, how much has this pushed you, how much has this catapulted you into something of movement, it's like, eh, can't really point to a whole lot. Well, man, this morning I want to share with you two very, very simple ways um, that we can live lives worthy of the gospel. There's just two words, and as a matter of fact, as I was just pouring over some of this stuff, uh, I, you, got, you guys remember Prince, of course, you remember a few years back, maybe 10, 15 years ago, or whenever it was, where he no longer wanted to be called the Prince, and he kind of changed his name to a non-name, you know what I'm talking about? And now he's just a symbol, he's just a stamp, so it was now the artist formerly known as Prince is just a symbol. Well, this is going to be the message that's known as just a symbol. That's it, because I was writing in my notes and I was thinking about these two concepts and, and they're right there in verse 27. It says, uh, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side, standing and striving. 
And so I've got this journaling Bible right here that I like to just kind of take notes as things jump out of the page. And I actually took a copy of my notes here. See on the right-hand side? That's the symbol that I want you to remember from this message. How do we live lives worthy of the gospel? There it is right there. First, it's an arrow going straight down because that's talking about standing. That's talking about foundations. And then there's an arrow moving off to the right. And that's talking about movement and striving. I've got another one that's a little bit closer up there on the other side standing and striving if you don't remember anything else from from these four verses I want you to remember that what do those things look like let's talk about them one by one the first one uh, you know Paul says that I'm, I want to hear about you man I love you guys I want to hear reports that you are standing firm standing firm now, this is a very powerful word. It doesn't just mean to like, okay, like I'm stable, like I'm standing. This is a military term that means don't abandon your post. No matter what happens, we've all seen those movies, you know, those war movies or revolutionary war movies or civil war movies or whatever, when all of a sudden the battle starts to heat up and some of the less dedicated people turn their tail and start to run Actually, as a matter of fact, on the same trip that I mentioned to you about, you know, dropping down over that cliff, we also played paintball. It was a father-son thing, and it was all the, all the kids against all the dads, and we were full on, and the paintball, the adults against the 14-year-olds, you know? And it was amazing to me how some of these adults were wimps when it came to the paintball field. I had this one guy, this one father, his name was Steve. He was actually a cop for like 30 years and we all start on the front lines and all of a sudden things start to get a little bit hot and you're feeling these things splatter all over. He's like, Jerry. I'm like, what? I'm high behind him. He's like, hey, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to guard the flag. And I'm like, wait, what? Before I knew it, he was running off and he went way past the flag and he just set up camp all the way at the back of the field against the net. He's not doing anything. And afterwards, I'm like, dude, what happened? We're getting lit up, lit up by 14-year-olds. Abandoned his post. Didn't want to get hurt. This is war terminology. Multiply that by a thousand, and here's what Paul's saying. The equivalent is found in Ephesians chapter 6, that same word, stand. Look here in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Skip all the way down. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore three different times. It's saying this is not going to be easy. You want to live a life worthy of the gospel? You're going to have to be there in the bunker when the enemy's coming and you don't know when it's going to stop. For some morally here, you've already run away. Maybe as you think about that motif, it's like, man, you know what? I've already abandoned the post that God gave me in my home as the keeper and protector of the purity of my house. Because as the, as the enemy's darts and schemes come flying at me, I've just tucked my tail and fleed. 
Think about all the different attacks and all the different schemes and how you've just given in or how you've run away. God's calling us here this morning to live a life propelled by the gospel means we stand firm no matter what happens, with courage and with bravery. The second piece is equal and equally as powerful not only does he say i want you to stand firm with one spirit and with one mind striving side by side for the faith not just standing your post not just being guard not just being firm not just hey whatever happens but it's also this idea of striving of moving of inching forward of taking ground that's an incredible word. Uh, the Greek word here is son athleo. Does that remind you of any word that we have? Athletics, athlete, strive. Carries along the idea of an athlete working hard to accomplish something. And you think about in the vast majority of sports, there's time going down. Uh, there's some sort of urgency involved, you know. Baseball is about the only one that I can think of that's like, eh, let's just take our time. But every other sport, just about, it's that timer's going down. You better watch out. You better take care of your timeouts. You better work hard. There's an urgency. There's a striving. That's the word that we see. That word is also used um, a little bit later on in Scripture where it talks about uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, carries along the idea that says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And la later on in Philippians, this is going to be a great message. I hope I get to preach it. I don't know what the schedule is. But in Philippians chapter 4, it talks about these two women who disagree with each other and are bickering back and forth, right? But it says they were laboring together with Paul for the gospel. So there, this idea of striving, you've got the one that we just talked about, like an athlete striving. You've got this idea of competing, and you've got this idea of labor. All three of those, same word, carries along the idea of agony. Are we working hard for God and for his kingdom? What I love in this passage, though, two different times, it talks about with one spirit and with one mind. And you'll notice that spirit is kind of a lowercase s. It's not talking about necessarily the Holy Spirit, um, although that's an important part of it, obviously, but it's one spirit is in our hearts are connected and one mind is in our intellects are thinking the same thing. And it's saying, hey, you know what? In order to strive, in order to work together, a team sport, we've got to be on the same page moving together no matter what happens. Now listen, in Scripture, um, especially in Proverbs, several times there's a tiny little insect that's mentioned called the ant. And consider the ant, oh, you sluggard, you know, that gets up and stores things and you're just turning around, you know, back and forth on your bed. And like, you know, God uses insects and things in the, in the physical kingdom of animals and insects and everything else to illustrate points. I want to, came across this video that I thought was actually pretty vital and important for us here this morning. And it involves ants, fire ants, actually. Some of you remember in, in uh, uh, the eastern part of North Carolina and South Carolina, even over the past year, 
um, there was all this flooding and everything, and this phenomenon was seen that fire ants, when, when their lairs are flooded with water, instead of just separating and doing everything, something very unique happens. You can go ahead and roll with that footage here, Jimmy. Check this out for the science uh, lesson here this morning. But these ants are pretty incredible, a bunch of fire ants, and what they do is they clump together. They will find each other. They will be drawn to each other. They'll swim towards each other. And then they've got this unique um, thing that they do where they fasten their legs and they create a watertight seal. And so this dude, this scientist with a, uh, you know, just a metal thing there is just poking them back and forth. And what's happening? They've created a raft. They're bonded together. And I love these little guys that are like climbing up the metal thing. They're like, hey, what you doing? Stop that. But he's just going for it, man. He's saying like, all right, how much can you take? I want to drown you guys one way or another. But the fire ants aren't having it. We're fastened together. We're bonded together. We're going to rescue each other no matter what happens. And that's the illustration that Paul is using here, this idea of being one. No longer is it a thousand ants all separated. It's all just one. And I'll tell you what, when there's unity in the body of Christ, when there's unity within your life group, when there's unity within a church, some pretty amazing things are going to happen. When those floodwaters come, when difficulties come, you're going to see the church rise up and protect each other, fastening close to one another, even like they used to do in war where they would take their giant shields and they would hook them all together and they would slowly move forward, protecting each other and rescuing each other. Have you seen that happen in your life? Are there people in here in this room right now that are right in the thick of one of those whatever happens moments? where there's uncertainty, where there's fear, where there's physical pain. And Paul's saying, man, I know where you've been because I'm there right now. And I'm just telling you, you've got to stand firm. Don't give up. Don't give in. Stand your post. Rescue each other and move forward for the sake of the gospel. This last Part of the verse is so powerful. Let's keep on reading in verse 28. It says, not frightened by anything, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. The more floodwaters come, the more difficulties come, the way you're bonding together, the way you're supporting each other, it's a sign to them that they're totally missing something. It says in verse 29, and underline this one, circle this. Do whatever you can to remember this. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's saying what I want you guys to remember at the tail end of this chapter before we get into something next is that it's been granted to you. It's been allowed. 
for the sake of Christ. So in some way, our suffering affects Jesus. We connect with him in a unique way when we're suffering for his sake. And just in closing here, I, I just pulled out four concepts about suffering and why it is granted to us and what could possibly be the outcome um, that would help us live a life worthy of the gospel. So if you're taking notes, just in closing, these are, these are four things. What, what can possibly be good about suffering? Number one, it forces you to respond in action, not just in words. How many times in your life, in your marriage, again, going back to that first day, like, whatever happens, rich or poor, you know, and now all of a sudden when you are poor, now all of a sudden when you are sick, now all of a sudden when the newness is worn off, you can look back in that and be like, wow, you know what? Actions are really hard. Words are easy. Actions are hard. When it comes to suffering, we can all be like, hey, you know what? To God be the glory. I've got a great, you know, healthy year, and that's been awesome. And wow, you got a nice house. Well, thank you, you know. This is God's house, really. And God's really blessed me at work, and I'm able to be generous. Well, this is all God's money, so I want to use God. And that's all great when things are going great. Or this is, you know, this newborn, this is God's child. God, this gift is yours. I'm, I'm dedicating this child to you up here on the stage. And those are all great words. But when the economy goes south or when your job is making some cuts or when your child is getting sick or when you're upside down in your house or when you get that verdict from the doctor and the medical bills are stacking up, that's where you see were these just words or is the behavior really going to display the goodness of God? Number two, when we're suffering, God is actually giving you the honor of being used, the honor of suffering. This is where we go back to Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41. This is Paul again. And it says this, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. Then they left in the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now, in a weird context that is so difficult to grasp, what God is saying is, you know what? When you make right decisions and when your character propels you and the difference of the gospel propels you into a new way of life and somehow you suffer for that, that's actually something to rejoice in. That's actually a privilege because Jesus, in the same way, suffered for, what was do, for doing what was right. Number three, suffering allows you to experience God's story in unexpected ways. It allows you to experience God's story in unexpected ways. Acts chapter 16, we won't turn there, but we've mentioned the story several weeks ago. Uh, this is in Philippi, so Paul is there 800 miles away with these very people. Right, But that's the account where he was in prison. He had been beaten over and over again, unjustly, locked up, even though he's a Roman citizen. 
And you remember the story where there was an earthquake, a giant earthquake. You ever been through an earthquake? That's not pleasant. Being in prison is not pleasant. Being beaten is not pleasant. It's like, oh, great, one more thing here. Okay, so the crowd's shaking. Wow, this is wonderful. Stuff's falling all over the place. But Paul decides to stay, as well as the other prisoners. You remember the prison guard called for lights, came down into the grit and the dark, uh, into the jail, and he was about ready to kill himself, about ready to fall on his own sword, the scripture says in Acts chapter 16. And Paul says, wait, we're all here, nobody's left. We didn't feel like this was the right time to go. Other times God's loosed our chains and we left. But man, the spirit just compelled us. Even though we're free, we want to stay because we want to impact you. I think about a prison guard. You know, this guy was probably big and beefy and strong and probably inflicted a lot of those wounds himself. You know, his name was probably like Bruno or Oz or... Something like that, you know, like just a big tough guy and had done all this stuff to them. And now he's so shocked that they would stay. He says, what must I do to be saved? And it says they pleaded with him and they explained to him from the scriptures what it meant. And then he quickly called in his wife. He called in his kids and it says they explained to all of them what it means to be saved. And he was saved that very night. And then his response It says he quickly tended to all of their wounds. Picture that. Probably the same guy or at least his friends that had inflicted all these wounds. Like, oh, Paul, I know, man, that one's bad. Let me, let me put some, let me wash that off. Oh, yeah, that one's really bad right there. I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry. What a quick turnaround. And then it says that he made a meal for them and he fed them. I mean, think about that. And think about now Paul's story about suffering and affliction. And he's like, all right, well, guess what? If I hadn't been beaten, he wouldn't have had the chance to come back and then, you know, offer this sacrifice and, and, and heal my wounds. If I hadn't been hungry, he wouldn't have had the chance to come and feed me. If I hadn't been in prison, he wouldn't have had that chance to experience me forgiving and, and, and God's grace upon his life. Do you see how unexpected that story unfolded? And it was all because Paul was suffering. Finally, this last one is when we suffer, we're truly, it's truly giving you a chance to live as as a citizen of another country, of another place. I came across this quote from C.S. Lewis. Listen to this. He says, The Christian doctrine of suffering explains, I believe, a very curious fact about the world we live in. The settled happiness and security which we all desire, God withholds from us by the nature of the world. Joy, pleasure, merriment, he's scattered about. And the security we crave would teach us to rest our hearts in this world. But our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. Part of the reason that we're allowed to go through suffering is a reminder that this world is broken. 
And that these opportunities that we have, even in suffering, to share the gospel and to be propelled into a new way to influence are priceless indeed. And you'll notice that Paul says at the end of this verse, you guys are suffering with the same conflict that I've been suffering with and even suffer with right now. And we just talked about that last week, right? Which is better, to keep on living or to go be with Jesus? He's like, nope, you know what? I'm going to keep on living. It may be tough, but that's going to mean fruitful ministry for me. And I want to do all I can in this short, short life to live for the place that I'm a true citizen of. I want to close with a quote by D.L. Moody. Um, man, what, what people say right before they die is really telling as to what they lived for. D.L. Moody, on his deathbed, was there with his son. And all of a sudden, he jolted awake and alert, and he said, Earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. And Moody's son said, no, no, father, you're dreaming. And Moody replied, I am not dreaming. I have been within the gates. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. And it is glorious. I mean, just imagine that moment when all this time that seems like it was lasting forever here on earth is gone. And what we've done here now is Indicative of how we're going to spend this, where our true citizenship is. My prayer in this passage is that we can have that, that mindset that says, we know it's difficult here, God. And whatever happens, I want to be trusting in you and I want to live a life worthy of your name. So help me stand and help me strive. And let me do it by your strength.